on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, July 14th, year of our Lord, 2022. The truth. Just two words there. Everyone thinks they want it until they get it. And then some people don't really enjoy that truth. We're going to share a healthy amount of it tonight. We are jam-packed. High atop sort of a sunsetty at this point, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Really nice day here. Who can win a national championship this year? One of the hard truths that you and I are going to have to face together tonight. We're also going to talk about some comments Nick Saban said. I've seen that there are some clips of a recent interview Saban did floating around out there. I've seen some takes back and forth. There were some of the most insightful and in many cases just flat out interesting things Saban had to say in that very interview that no one's talking about, which shocks me, but hey, we'll take it if no one else wants it. Uh, Bold Predictions, Chapter 24 tonight. We're well on our way to 30 at this point. And hey, let me ask you a question. It's rhetorical. We're going to get to it towards the end of the show. Where's all the Georgia hype? Did I, did I see things? Did they not just win a national championship in Indianapolis? I thought growing up, little JP growing up in Georgia, I thought if and when they finally win one, the hype machine, the subsequent spring and summer and then leading up to the season will be unlike anything we've ever seen. It's like crickets. No one's talking about them. Well, I think I got a few reasons why. But boy, Kirby Smart's got to love it. They're watching us in San Clemente, California. Maryville, Tennessee turned in. Carmel, Indiana. Is that not where Sage Steel is from? I think it is. Carmel, Indiana tuned in. We're a big fan of Carmel, if so. And you know what? We're probably just big fans anyway. Tomorrow, the Late Kick store is open. And I know the other night I did not tell you guys a time. I'm not going to tell you now either. Just refresh your phone every five minutes tomorrow. We're opening that thing tomorrow. We got Late Kick gear in there. We got Pate State gear in there. We got some things that I never even thought we could make in there. It's going to be really fun. One word of warning. You haven't seen me plaster advertisement about this everywhere. Because I'm fairly confident we're just going to sell out of everything. So I want our hardcores to get the first shot at it. And so I'm, I'm kind of telling you on the show, yeah, but I'm not making a huge, huge, huge deal about it. I'm just letting you know that thing's open tomorrow. Grab what you can while you can. Some of that stuff's going to be gone and some of it will never be back. So we're certainly going to keep those shelves stocked and we're going to add new products. What you see tomorrow is only the very beginning of that. But get it while you can. I'm not trying to infuse scarcity into the equation. I'm quite literally telling you. Supply chain bites us like everyone else. Scarcity is a part of this thing. Get it while you can. It'll open tomorrow. Also, towards the end of this show, I've got a favor I need to ask you. It has nothing to do with the store or anything like that. But I got a favor to ask you. One of those things we do about two or three times a year. I'll need some help on something. So stay tuned towards the end. We're going to be live in Atlanta all next week for SEC Media Days. Confirm that today. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. I'll be down there at the, I think we're going to be at the Hall of Fame. So, you know, don't harass us. But if you want to come by and see us, that's fine. Have plenty of white tees available for everyone. So we'll be live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll get you a start time. Just stay tuned on that one. Follow on social at Late Kick Josh. That's enough of that. Let's dive into the show tonight. I love this time of year for several reasons. Number one, because I can look at the calendar and I can measure the amount of days now 
until camps open up and we're almost done talking and we actually get to hear the sound of pads popping and we get real practice reports. Oh, that's great. Do you know what else happens this time of year? We really find out who can win a championship because we really start diving hardcore, headlong into roster evaluation. What does history say? What does the history of college football tell us is necessary to win a national championship? That's the truth that you and I have to uncover tonight because there is some pretty hard data out there. Enter Budrick Elliott because it turns, it turns out it's really not all that difficult to figure this out. Bud, uh, I call him Budrick, you can call him whatever you want to. Bud Elliott has put out for quite a while the blue chip ratio, sort of the father, if you will, of the blue chip ratio. And all that is, is a measure, kind of a, a scan across the sport of everyone's roster. What we're trying to figure out here and what history has told us we need to figure out is how many teams out there are above 50% of their total roster being comprised of four and five star recruits. That's it. It's really that simple, believe it or not. And this year, we got 15 of them. So I'm going to break this down because I'm not so much going to go one through 15 down the list. It's the usual suspects, and maybe a couple of you are surprised are still in there. But I want to give you a couple of takeaways on this, and I want to ask if you see the same thing happening that I see happening. So you got 15 teams total. Again, this, this percentage, if you're watching on YouTube, that's just the total percentage of that team's roster that is comprised of former four- and five-star recruits. Alabama's almost at 90%. It used to be rare that anyone was at 70%. Bama's almost at 90%. I'll get back to that in a second, because that's an indicator of a much bigger issue to me. The SEC has six of these 15 teams. Next up is the Big Ten with three. Uh, the ACC and the Big 12 each have two. Notre Dame's in there. The G5 is not even remotely close. So I'll tell you what I thought when I looked at this list. It's on 247sports.com right now. Bud does it every year. And so I'm interested in what he said about transfers. Because, you know, he kind of summarized it the way I am. I really don't know how to gauge that yet. It's in there. If you want to go look at the secondary, not the tertiary or quaduciary, but the secondary list, and you want to look at transfers infused with this, that's in that article on 247sports.com. But as for now, as for this moment, we're still talking about just classical high school recruits. I'm thinking about the news that just broke over the past year in our sport and how it ties into this. What I'm talking about is about a year ago, probably this week, a year ago, we had OU in Texas. They're going to move to the SEC 2025 at the latest. I happen to think it'll happen before that. A couple of weeks ago, what did we hear? We hear USC, UCLA, they're on the move to the Big Ten. Let's just hit the fast forward button. Boom. To a point in time where both of those moves have happened. I am a believer, after looking at this, that in that world, if you're in the Big 12 or the Pac-12, even if nothing changed, even if those conferences just remained as they are, you'd have to totally recalibrate the world you live in. No longer would those folks wake up in the morning telling themselves, in order to succeed, we need to win a national championship. It wouldn't even be reasonable at that point. Once OU and Texas leave the Big 12, there is no one even close. Guys, there are no programs, even two or three good recruiting classes close to being in the blue chip ratio of 50% and above club. So either someone's got to buck the entire historical trend of college football, or you're just not winning a national title out there. And the same outside of Oregon goes for the Pac-12. Washington would be the next closest, uh, and there are a couple of classes away probably if they ever get back there. But outside of Oregon, there's no one in the Pac-12. Once USC leaves, it's going to win a title out there either, at least if we follow historical trends. So what do you do? 
Do you pretend you're still chasing the same thing in those conferences? If we're watching from afar, do we pretend that those conferences are still on the same footing? No. Just why? Well, one of many reasons why I'm not particularly fond of the moves that are happening, but I can't control the moves. What I can control is the prism with which I view the sport through, and I'm going to look out there and I'm going to say all due respect to the Big 12, Pac-12. You making the playoff, that's your mountaintop. You're not going higher than that. That's kind of the way we look at G5 teams right now. Cincinnati making the playoff last year, that was the mountaintop. It, if you're just being real with yourself, they, they don't have the horses to compete with an Alabama once they get there. Nor should they, man. They're, they're working from completely different points. Historically, they're working from completely different points. So that's the first thing I took away is even though we already kind of thought that way, in the future, we'll really look at the Big 12, Pac-12, and we'll say, you guys get to the playoff. That's about all you could hope for. But that's kind of obvious. I think the other thing is going towards the whole notion of the super team era, which is what a lot of people have come to describe this era as. The playoff era has started to become described as the super team era. There are some folks out there who think the college football playoff is the reason why a lot of these teams are so good now and they're so loaded. You know that yours truly here doesn't believe that, but let's talk about it. There are two arguments here. As I said, Bud wrote in this article, it used to be rare that you had any teams above 70% in the blue chip ratio. It, even for Alabama, it was rare and it was hard for them to get over that 70% threshold of their roster being comprised of four and five star recruits. Then they got there and for a few years it was just them. And then you had Ohio State creep into the mix. But now we got five teams for the first time ever. We have five teams with a blue chip ratio of 70% or more. For the record, those teams are Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and A&M in that order. What do we make of that? Well, those are super teams. Those are super rosters. I mean, you're talking about a, a fifth team there in A&M that a few years ago would have been challenging for having the best roster in the sport. How does this happen? This is where we differ. I argue with some of you guys. Some of my most loyal viewers and listeners I go back and forth with on this. Some of you guys are just steadfast in your belief that the college football playoff created this vacuum where it just separated the haves and have-nots because a few teams started to make the playoff and then they were disproportionately rewarded in recruiting and financially. And so then they started to separate themselves. You know how that goes. We've talked about that before. You either believe that or you don't believe that. Or maybe you're on the fence. If you're on the fence, just allow me to present my train of thought. My train of thought is I couldn't really care less what postseason format we've been living under. Make no mistake. Now, I'm not even conflicted on this. I believe the reason why you've seen some of those teams separate is the talent drain from California, from Florida, and from Texas. In that order, probably. If the state of California, Southern California, if, if Southern Florida, South Florida, if Texas, if Ohio State and Clemson and Bama and Georgia aren't able to go into those states, especially Bama, to the degree they've been able to, and pluck all that talent, are we looking at the same level of roster? Those teams would still be good. Those teams, proportionally, would probably still be near the top of the sport. You would not be looking at five teams, none of them residing in those states, aside from A&M just now getting into that club, with these rosters that are totally detached from the rest of college football, if you don't believe me, then look at the trajectory over the past several years. Bama wasn't always sitting at 
Ohio State wasn't always sitting where they are. That's, that's been a progression upward, and it's been largely due to being able to add athletes from places like South Florida, Texas, and Southern California because the programs there were subpar or poor in performance, and they weren't able to keep their talent at home. That's the long and short of it. You can have as many teams or as few teams in your playoff as you want to. If Texas, Texas A&M, USC, Miami, Florida, Florida State, if they're average to good or better, then you've got a totally different landscape. Even maybe so much so that multiples of those programs would be sitting there in that 70% plus range. As it turns out, none of them are there right now, aside from Texas A&M. A&M is right at 70%. So who's missing from this? Well, I think USC is an obvious candidate there. Uh, the good news for a program like USC and uh, North Carolina and Tennessee is they're one excellent class away. So they're right there in like that 45, 48, 49% range. To, uh, Southern Cal will be back here very soon. I would imagine on this list next year, Southern Cal may be there, and certainly in years to come, they'll be there. Tennessee, got a top 10 recruiting class now. They are on the fast track to marching themselves right back above that 50% threshold. But who else did we not mention? We didn't mention Florida State. They're multiple classes away. We did not mention Stanford. You know, Stanford used to be in here, multiple classes away. Washington is probably a class or a couple of classes away. And so you start to look across the landscape and are you going to transfer portal your way through this issue? Are you going to NIL your way through this issue? I don't know, but I'll tell you what stood out to me more than anything as I was kind of just looking at this with some time to spare today. Think about how improbable to impossible this sounds. You got the 15 most talented rosters in America. Six of the 15 have new head coaches this year. Oklahoma's got a new one. LSU's got a new one. Notre Dame's got a new one. Florida. Uh, who else? Miami's got a new one. Oregon's got a new one. How unprecedented is that? It's normally the places where the roster isn't what it should be, where you're getting new coaches. Six of the top 15 most talented and loaded rosters in the country got new head coaches. Yeah, you've never seen a situation before, in my mind at least, where new head coaches, multiples of them are walking in the door so ready-made to succeed. Is that a blessing? Yeah. Does it also mean there'll probably be a shorter leash? Yeah. But unlike some places where they give you the shorter leash, but you got a bare cupboard to work with, Brent Venables at Oklahoma, dude, you're right there. You're, you're, in that, you're in that upper, upper percentile of teams that are over 70%. I'm not saying he's got a short leash. I'm just saying, what a blessed situation to inherit. Even at Miami, people look at Miami and think, oh, there's a significant rebuild at hand for Mario Cristobal. No, there's not. They're, they got one of the top 15 rosters in the country, and they're going to recruit better than they have been already. And they're a great transfer portal position program because a lot of South Florida talent leaves, doesn't like it where they are, want to come home. Guess where they land? They land at Miami. So as you, as you go about your betting this year, don't use this as an absolute guide, of course, but use it as a reference point. If you're on the fence, one team facing another team, it helps to know what's inside. What are those programs made up of? And some of them are made up of a little bit more of that T-word talent than others. I was last night perusing, as, as you will, the uh, Instagram feed. I saw one of you had sent me like five or six videos. And I said, I'm not opening this right now. But then I thought better of it. And I said, you don't have anything else to do. Open those videos. It was one of our loyal alumni from Pate State who had marched his way into an academy sports and outdoors and was chatting up the cashier 
and he had, he had his eye, I don't know his last name, let's just call him Barry. He had his eye Barry out, and he was filming himself talking to the cashier at Academy and telling him, I passed by this store, this store, that store. He named them. I won't be so savage. He named all the stores, and then he said, I came all the way here to Academy to get my tent to support the show. Cashier said, what show? He said, Lake Kick. Then he continues around the store. He just walked up to unsuspected customers. He said, you ever heard of Lake Kick with Josh Bate? And boy, the worst thing you could have ever done in your life last night at that academy is said no. Because he let you know in no uncertain terms what you were missing. And that, in summary, is why we do not have to have a marketing budget. We don't have to spend a dime on it. Because we got you doing those sorts of things just out in the community. No better place to do it than Academy Sports and Outdoors. But as we embark on a new season, you know, the every given Saturday tour is nearly upon us. I had so many ideas watching that video. We got free stuff to give away. We got Academy gift cards to give away. I can't wait to get my new packet of those. I got Pate State merch to give away. What kind of challenge could we put out there that kind of coincides with what our guy did last night that could warrant me giving you free stuff? I'm open to ideas. I've already got a few, but I'm open to ideas. In the meantime, if you need ideas for places to go to fulfill your, all of your outdoor sporting goods needs, Obviously, Academy Sports and Outdoors is the place to go. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com. The place to go for all of your life needs, but doubly especially your outdoor and sporting goods needs. Get me those ideas. I think we could have a lot of fun with that. Let's talk about some comments, shall we? Nick Saban had some things to say. Our buddy Greg McElroy has a new podcast out there called Always College Football. I would encourage you to give it a listen. Uh, we are a big believer in high tides raising all boats in our particular sector of this industry. Uh, and Greg's a really good dude. And man, I, I guess he knows Nick Saban. Get Greg McElroy must know Nick Saban. Because he got him on the show, and boy, Saban was open. He was loose. I think they said he had just come back from vacation like five minutes earlier. And he went really in-depth. And I cannot for the life of me believe that comments he made have not gained more traction. The, the, people, people talked about what he said, but they talked about all the wrong stuff. So... Here's what you probably either heard or read this week. What you probably heard or read was Nick Saban said something about competitive balance. And you probably then either had it summarized for you or summarized yourself, absent the information, there he goes, scared out of his mind, complaining about competitive balance. When in the world have we ever had competitive balance in college football? Alabama, how hypocritical must you be to be the head coach at Bama talking about competitive balance? One of my buddies, who knows better, even texted me on the iJosh and said, uh, did you see Nick Saban? He was comparing college football to the NFL. I trust you're going to go after him on Thursday night show. Well, I'm going to talk about him. But the problem is I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. We're funny about that around here. We actually like to use the quotes. So it's a character flaw of the show. And we miss out on a lot of clicks because of it. But luckily, it's a retention business instead of a clicks business these days. So again, this is from the Always College Football podcast uh, hosted by Greg McElroy. I think there are a few episodes in now. I would encourage you to go listen. It's on YouTube. I think ESPN uploaded it on YouTube. Go listen to the entire interview. Here's what I think you'll find. Take whatever you've already heard about this thing and take what you've heard people say and just develop what your opinion may be. Then go listen to it and you'll probably find about 98% of you will come away agreeing with everything he said and you didn't even know it because that's the way it was packaged for you. I'm going to read a quote for you. And uh, this thing's like 20 minutes long, so I'm, I'm not playing. We're not playing it tonight. 
And um, I'm going to encourage you to go watch it. But listen to this quote. And this is what was presented to you, I saw from a bunch of national shows, absent any context. The quote is, my biggest, this is from Nick Saban, my biggest concern about where we're headed is affecting competitive balance of the haves and the have-nots. And we're one of the haves, he said. We're Alabama, we're one of the haves. But that's not good for college football. And a lot of people ran with that. This guy who's been on top of the college football world is complaining about competitive balance. This is college football, man. You come to college football to have total control of your roster. You come here because you got a bigger recruiting budget. You come here because you got a bigger support staff that's the size of the armies of small countries out there. You come here specifically because there's not competitive balance. Did you hear that this week? Did you maybe say that this week? I'm not telling you you're not entitled to your opinion. I'm just saying I went and listened to this whole thing, and I listened to the context in which he was speaking. I'm not so sure I disagreed with any of it. He was talking about comps to the NFL, and specifically he compared the NFL to college football, which normally we're against on this show, but he compared it in two very appropriate avenues. The first one was in NIL and roster management. He, he talked about that competitive balance thing. Now, I haven't heard every interview Nick Saban's done over the past two years. I've heard most of them, I think, because they normally make national news. We may have one on this show next week. But in this particular interview with Greg McElroy, what he said was, it's going to hurt competitive balance if we don't have rules that everyone has to go by. So in other words, guardrails, if you want to call them that. And I know even the pushback on that sometimes from hardcore college football fans is Alabama doesn't play by the same rules. Ohio State doesn't play by the same rules. Uh, they have really, really big advantages. That's true. That's true. Where do the advantages come from, though? Do they get to sign 35 players, whereas you only get to sign 25? Do they get to have 113 on scholarship, whereas you can only have 85? No. The disproportionate advantage at the college level really just comes from investment, but it comes from the kind of investment that everyone has the opportunity to do is kind of what he's saying. So in other words, if I'm a Florida State Seminole fan and I'm looking at Ohio State or I'm looking at Clemson and they're spending more than me, what stops us from doing it? What stops our people from doing it? What stops our administration from investing on the things and in the things they invest in? Technically nothing. What stops Florida State football from having as big a support staff? Technically nothing. It's just that there's someone sitting in a room somewhere. I'm, I'm not picking on FSU. I'm just picking, let's say Pate State's like that. I'll take them. I'll take the fire here. At Pate State, if we've got a fraction of the off-field support staff that Nick Saban does, it's because there's someone in some room at Pate State getting paid 90 grand a year in federal money to say, nope, we're not about that. We're not doing that the way they do it in Tuscaloosa, which is cool. That's your right. But you had the opportunity. What Nick Saban's talking about is there were quite literally states where teams they're competing against were allowed to do things they couldn't do last year. I, I'm pretty sure that when we get to a place, which we will in time, where all of the NIL rules are equal no matter what state you live in, I'm going to throw a wild guess out here. I think Nick Saban and Alabama are going to be fine, just fine, in terms of talent acquisition. I don't think that's going to be a problem for them. But he is right in the meantime in saying it's ludicrous to essentially enter an, an era of free agency but not have any guardrails on how you sign players. And then you can go ahead and talk about the transfer portal too if you want to. I don't think he really singled it out so much. Are you free to move anytime you want to? Are you free to do things over here that you can't do over there. I'm, I, I don't know many people who disagree 
with the simple notion that everyone should be playing by the same rules. I don't know many people who disagree with that. I know what your follow-ups are. I know what the comment section is going to say. But we do have to move on in the interest of time. I want to go back to that quote, though. You know, he was talking about, I don't want you to pull it back up, Colin, but I'm saying he was talking about competitive balance and everything. And I just, I know, like I just said, I know what the comments are going to say. It says, sure as I'm sitting here, uh, my eye, Josh, when I get off, there it already goes. Yes. So when I get off air and when I look at this comment section, a lot of you are going to say he is worried about the future and the stranglehold he's had on the sport. He's, he's not intimidated, but threatened, I guess is the proper word that a lot of people feel Nick Saban's expressing. He's, he's, he's expressing the emotion that you express when you're threatened, that something you've had, the control you've had is slipping away. I suppose that's possible. But you know what? There are also other things that are possible. So I just want to ask you a simple question that we can't answer tonight. This one's going to have to sit with you for a little while. Are you falling for that again? Are you really falling for changes in this sport, convincing you that that guy hoisting one of like, I don't know, half a dozen or more crystal footballs he's won at this point, that that guy is about to be threatened into retirement or into obscurity, or at the very least, he's going to be knocked off his podium and someone else will take over as the uh, supreme ruler, the supreme ruling program of college football. Are you allowing yourself to be fooled by this again? Because it happened several times now over the last decade, and some of you fell victim to it and some of you didn't. Some of you were smart enough to avoid it. But I'm not even just talking about you as in those of us who happen to be tuned into this show tonight. There's some big voices out there that got big time fooled on this stuff. Remember that sport that was passing Nick Saban by? I'm not even talking about one instance. You can fill in the blank like three or four different times. People have said that, and that guy's adjusted every time. This stuff's going to calibrate. The way that NIL works, the way the transfer portal works, it's going to calibrate. You know, right now, it's like you just walked into a room and the music's blaring and your senses haven't adjusted. Eventually, the senses of college football are going to adjust. And eventually, the ones who do it best are going to do that best. And eventually, you're going to watch whatever changes he has to make get made, and they'll be what they always have been. What he has said in the past is in the aggregate, you're going to lose something you like about the sport. I think the much higher percentage chance of something happening in the future is Bama still being Bama as long as he's there, but in the aggregate, you looking around four or five years from now and saying, you know, they even ended up being right about this. We, we did lose this or this or that that I loved. That's probably where we're headed. Nick Saban's going to be fine. Bama's going to be fine. But the one thing that he talked about that I can't believe more people failed to pick up on is he talked about scheduling. That Alabama head coach there talked about scheduling. And you know what he told Greg McElroy? He said, what worries me most also is we're playing three or four games a year at Bama no one cares about. I've never heard him be that brutally honest and upfront about this stuff. He said, we got games being played no one cares about. I don't like them. Our fans don't like them. We got to do something about scheduling. And he said, I've advocated to go to nine conference games a year. He said, I wanted to go to 10 conference games a year. And then he hearkened back just a couple of years. He said, we played 10 of them in 2020. We played all conference games in that COVID year. And of course, the guy who went undefeated and won the title that year happened to love it. But I think they would love it. I think guys like him, he's not alone. There are competitors out there who do not enjoy being favored by 48. So I think one of the logical follow-ups is, okay, well, why don't you stop scheduling Austin P there, the second to last week of the year? 
Why don't you go schedule more big time out of conference games, home, road, whatever? Why don't you go schedule more of those? Why are you advocating for nine or 10 conference games when you could just go play out of conference games of the same caliber? Well, because that's dumb. That's why. Why would you voluntarily put yourself at a strength of schedule disadvantage? Like I'm asking Arkansas why they do that right now. Why are you voluntarily playing Cincinnati? Why are you going to Provo, Utah? Why are you doing that when you already know what you got to play? No, if your conference passes a uniform scheduling format or overhaul where you know everybody you compete against has to play the same caliber schedule, then I'd be on board with it. I wouldn't do anything different than Saban's done. I wouldn't do anything different than Kirby Smart. Man, I, I would schedule one pretty good out-of-conference game that's either in my stadium or at a neutral site close to my backyard, and then I'd play my conference late. I'm not, I'm not going to schedule up if the rest of y'all aren't. No. But what you can advocate for, and what Saban talked about is, I'd love to just go play 10 SEC games every year. Get us one marquee out-of-conference opponent. Get us probably one G5 level opponent. Call it a day. 12 games there. That was the second aspect of the NFL scheduling model he talked about. He said in the NFL, they just love it if everyone goes 8-8 eight eight every year because they're putting a competitive product on the field every Sunday. And that kind of dovetailed into him talking about how we got games that nobody cares about. Like, how are we going to sustain this long-term? How do you keep people interested long-term if you're playing those kinds of games? So when we're expanding conferences, why don't we expand the quality of schedule as well? That, to me, was what people should have run with. Because that's going to give you a lot more healthy inventory out there every Saturday. And that's something I think pretty much 100% of us agree on. Yeah, that Nick Saban interview was something. I would, I would advise you to go listen to it. I just didn't take from it what a lot of other folks took from it. I, I'll tell you when I listen to that guy and truly think he feels threatened. I don't think he feels threatened right now. I think he's aggravated, as are a lot of people, because we literally, day to day, don't even know what rules we're going by. I mean, I can't get mad at him if I'd feel the same way he did, so. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. They're watching us in Lumberton, North Carolina tonight, but they're not alone. They're watching us in Norman, Oklahoma and Montgomery, Alabama. Tuned in. Bold predictions is something that if you're new around here, and judging by our numbers, a lot of you are, we're on chapter 24 of. Jesse, Colin, I guess it was like two months ago, maybe more, I put out a tweet. I said, if you had to bet your own money on a bold prediction, what would you bet your money on? We were supposed to do a segment on it that night. That was going to be it. And here we are, all this time later, well on our way to 30. Colin, here's your good end point here. Bold predictions, chapter 24 tonight. What do you believe so steadfastly that you would bet your own money on? Well, we got one here now. 
Jesse wanted to make this one, uh, I think, a 9.5 on the boldness scale. I went nine and a quarter. Nathan, first up with the prediction, he said, Georgia's defense going to be better statistically than last year after the regular season. Last year's defense was basically impenetrable. Only one team in the country scored more than 17 on them, and that was Bama in the SEC title game. Uh, this is not going to happen. So this is not realistic. This is a 9.25 on the boldness scale, and the only reason I didn't make it a 10 is because that's how much I respect Kirby Smart. Uh, Georgia last year, number one in points per game. Also, how about this? We've never had a stat from 538, but Jesse, producer Jesse, stats and info, brings me my research packet. According to 538, Georgia had the second highest defensive efficiency rating for a title team since 2005. So that's pretty good. Uh, but more readily available in your memory is watching them lose five guys on defense to the first round of the draft. And that doesn't include N'Kobe Dean. And that doesn't include some more guys who went. And that doesn't include transfer portal departures at like Kimber and, and Brini. And so I say all that to say this Georgia team can fall short of last year and still be the best defense in the country. I think they will fall short of last year. And that's also why, hey, I think offense could be as much the core identity of Georgia football this year as it has been under Kirby Smart so far. That mean we're going to be watching, you know, like vintage Big 12 pinball offense. But I do think that there, there'll be a little more explosivity. I think also we're going to talk about this later in the show. Kirby Smart's got exactly what he wants there this year. Next up. What do they have in Madison? Uh, at no director Colin hit us up. And he, I love the profile picture, by the way. He said, Wisconsin goes 11-1 this year and becomes the first Big Ten East school to win the conference title since 2012. Yes, it hasn't happened up there. Uh, this is an 8.5. You know what? I'm changing my mind. I'm going to make this a 9. This is unlikely. Not impossible, but very unlikely. My initial thought and maybe your initial thought when you hear someone predict Wisconsin's going to win the Big Ten is, oh, they could do that. Wisconsin's good. And that's true. They can do it because they are good. Problem is it takes more than good to win the Big Ten championship. It takes being either really good or great, especially with a team like Ohio State, presumably in the way. Now, we thought that last year, and they weren't even in the Big Ten title game. But they weren't because someone better than them beat them. So stands to reason you're going to face a buzzsaw one way or the other. Because you're going to face a playoff-bound team in the Big Ten Championship game. Wisconsin, conference schedule this year. They go on the road to Ohio State. They play them in the regular season. They go on the road to Michigan State, at Iowa, at Nebraska. Uh, they end the season at home against Minnesota. Graham Mertz last year, at quarterback. More interceptions than touchdowns. I'm trying to find the inspiration. Because I, I happen to be favorable in feelings towards Wisconsin. Bought into them a time or two over the past couple of years. Really haven't gotten a return on my emotional investment. There's only one top 25 recruiting class baked into their past five cycles. That's not the end-all be-all at Wisconsin. They're very much a developmental program. Uh, they absolutely are comfortable in what their identity is. That's why I think they can make it to Indianapolis. Winning once you get there, whole different ballgame. Their over-under win total is nine this year, but their odds to win the Big Ten championship are at plus 1,000. So I make that a nine on the boldness scale. I, I think this one's pretty bold. I think our next one's pretty bold. Uh, at Gatorfellow said, UCLA will be one of two teams in the Pac-12 conference championship game, and USC will not be the other one. So we need the Bruins to make it to the conference title game. They don't face USC. Now, it should be noted here, 
that even though they're in the same division, quote unquote, Pac-12 changed the rules. So they're just taking the top two teams for the title game. So yes, both of those Los Angeles schools could face each other, uh, but our man here says it's not going to happen. So I made this an 8.25. We're going by quarters now, 8.25. UCLA is in a pretty sneaky good position here. You're looking at the odds to win the Pac-12 if you're watching on YouTube. They are fourth overall at plus 750. Oregon, Utah, USC are 3-2-1. They were 8-4 last year, were the UCLA Bruins. They, they've been so-so recruiting, but they did have the number nine portal class, so they made some good transfer portal additions. This is the opportune moment, though. More so than any of the stats I can give you, just think about the overall nature of the Pac-12. You've got, well, you've got roster churn and coaching staff churn across town at USC. You've got the same thing up the road a good ways, a really good ways, in Eugene, Oregon. Further up the road, you got that at Washington. So, yeah, Utah's there. Utah's got to come to your building. You don't have to go to Salt Lake. So if UCLA is going to get it done, I think this would be the year. Also, the good news for them, listen to this. Bowling Green, Alabama State, South Alabama at Colorado, those are their first four games. What, what more could you want? Like, and, and they've got a pretty, I mean, they got really good veteran pieces at important offensive positions, i.e. quarterback, running back, et cetera. So uh, they're going to be tuned up. I mean, Washington on September 30th is really the first game, and it gets serious really quickly after that. But that's the first game where you look and you say, all right, that's, that's really where you got to have things figured out. I think they'll have them figured out by then. So the reason why I made this an eight is not so much because I doubt UCLA can make it to the Pac-12 championship game. you got to have USC not there. So we've got multiple qualifiers here, and I just think statistically, that's one of those improbable but not impossible classic eights on the boldness scale. Chip Kelly needs this one this year, though. Uh, next up, we go all the way across the country. Three more letters here. Here's the prediction. Haven't been hearing much about North Carolina lately, so here we go. North Carolina is going to win the ACC. And a bolder prediction, why not? They go to the playoff, watching from Lincolnton, Georgia, home of the Red Devils and home of Garrison Hurst. Uh, this is a nine for me. A lot of you got burned by North Carolina last year. I'm a victim right there along with you. They have the sixth best odds to win the ACC this year. So that alone indicates that this is pretty bold. Sixth best odds to win the conference title. But not only do we need them to win the conference title, we need them to make the playoff. I've got, I've got some odds for them to win the title here at plus 15,000 if you want some of that. Here, here are Mac Brown's records so far at North Carolina. Seven and six, eight and four, six and six. What leads you to believe there is a one-loss miracle run to a conference title and a playoff in this? Undefeated or one loss, that's what you're going to need. What makes you think it's there? You've got turnover at quarterback here, which I, I'm, not I'm not saying it's catastrophic loss, uh, but I am saying there's a lot of unknown on that team. Maybe they do have it all figured out. Hey, I'm a believer that they're going to hit the over on their win total, which is seven and a half for the record. But see, notice what I said, over seven and a half, which means I'm good with eight and four. Nine and three would be a great year. Making the playoff, though, that's an entirely different deal. I don't think that's in the cards for them this year. So uh, Brandon Walker claims I never say anything bad. Here's a prediction. I don't think North Carolina is going to make the playoff in 2022. It gets no bolder than that. It's a nine. No, I don't actually listen to him. Someone told me he said that. Uh, lastly, let's go to State College PA. Dave said Penn State, my prediction, they have another ab above average season and people truly question the new James Franklin contract. 
This one's worded in an interesting manner. Let me read it again. Penn State, another above average season, and people are going to question the James Franklin contract. Well, their over-under win total is 8.5. So what would we call above average? Would it have to be 9 wins? 8 or 9 wins, I guess, would be an above average season. Let's call it 9. If they win 9 games this year, there's no way anyone's questioning anything. That's not happening. So they would have to be below average for people to start questioning him. Also, even if you start questioning it, like let's, so let's just let's assume for a second they have a, a bad year this year. They go 7-5. and five. No, you wouldn't be happy. But questioning the contract is something no one's in a position to do up there. Because you can't just, you can't use the benefit of hindsight to go back in time and claim that something was the wrong decision. Because when they made the decision on the contract, they didn't have a Magic 8 ball. So, so they wouldn't have known 7-5 and five was coming up, for example. Had they known that, maybe they handled the contract differently. But the other thing you have to remember is at the time, what was the landscape out there? Tons of coaching drama. That was the landscape. And did James Franklin capitalize on that? Sure he did. Did he get a little bit more money out of the deal? Sure he did. Could you afford to call his bluff if you're Penn State? Of course you couldn't. And so they made the right decision regardless of what he does this year. So let's say they go 7-5 and five this year. What's going to happen is, well, logically, what would happen is people will say, this is not good enough. And James Franklin would agree, I know it's not good enough. And then you would look to the future, because here's what you do have at Penn State that maybe has not been in nearly as plentiful a supply lately. You got real legit hope at the quarterback spot in Drew Aller and Nicholas Singleton, whereas you may have to wait a year to see Aller. You may, I don't think you're going to wait a season. I think Nick Singleton is going to be a big-time player for them at running back this year. Point being, you go eight or nine wins this year. Let's just say that's what the record is. You come out of this season, unlike years past, saying, boy, now it's going to get better at quarterback. Now our offense is going to get better, or at least we have a reason to believe that. That hasn't been what you've said in the past. So there'll be hope. Uh, so if they, go, if they go six wins, it's, it's a different conversation. I don't think Penn State's going six and six. So I think they'll be okay there. Hope. A good thing, maybe the best of things. Gosh, uh, let's let's go with a couple of questions here. I'll, I picked these out because I love both of them, and then I've got a favor to ask you at the very end of the show. So, I let me present this. Please don't yell if you're listening on the podcast tomorrow morning, wherever you are. Don't yell immediately. Let me set it up the right way. Dan asked the question, and he said the the following. Was voting for a national champ really all that bad? Hold on. Hold, don't immediately react. Don't have the bumper sticker reaction here. You read something, you decide where you stand on it, you move on. Let's think critically, you and I. Let's just think critically for a second. Because one of you the other day, when I asked what the biggest myths in college football were, one of you came at me and you said, I'll tell you what the biggest myth in college football is. The biggest myth in college football is a bunch of people got convinced they deserved to see a title play out on the field. So how do you respond to that? What do you think about him saying that? It's kind of the same thing Dan said here. The immediate reaction for anyone who's a competitor, anyone who loves sports, you're just trained, man. You want to see a, a climax. You want to see a title won, not awarded. You want to see it won. And I feel the same way. Initially, I feel the same way. But we've got to take things into context here. It's not a vacuum. There are consequences to changing up your sport to where you get it to where you can logically or reasonably have a title game play out on the field. You reward a championship on the field. So 
So I went a little deeper on the thinking here. And you know what my answer to Dan's question is? The more and more we get into this era, the more and more I say, no, nah, I guess it wasn't all that bad. I thought it was terrible at the time. Man, thought, thought how in the world or am I having to live in a, a, a society here in college football where we're the ones who don't crown a champion on the field? Then came the BCS era, which I don't think was a bad thing. If you just took me back there, I'd be fine. But here's my answer to this. I can only answer it for myself. You can answer your own way. When people say, would you rather have what you have now? Would you rather go back to the, the pre-BCS era where they're awarding a championship via polls? You know what I'd love to change about that is the folks voting. That's the one I'd love to change about it, more so than the system itself. I know it sounds backwards, and from any other viewpoint it is, but in college football, here's what I do. I ask myself, what do I love? What, what is my non-starter? What am I not willing to give up? And that is always the regular season, Saturdays for me. Saturdays in the fall, that means more than anything. So what I ask myself is, were Saturdays in the fall ever hurt because we weren't crowning a champion in a championship game at the end of the year? My answer is no. Those campuses, those atmospheres, those environments, they were there, regardless of what was going to happen in December and January. People just valued the conference championships that much more. And um, so I ask myself then, as I'm thinking critically here, and I know it's dangerous, that's the smoke coming out of the ears right now, what was the biggest risk? Because I've seen the risk on the other side. I've seen what the playoff era has done. Not a big fan of a lot of it. So I'm still passionate about the sport. I'm just not a fan of a lot of the trimmings of the sport. What was the biggest risk in remaining in that era? And you know what the answer is? Some people would have gotten mad every year. That was the big risk. You would have had a champion. They just would have been, I guess, awarded instead of crowned on a field. There, there wouldn't have been necessarily as much confetti. You would have had a champion. Sometimes you would have had multiple champions. Hey, who doesn't love multiple winners? Uh, where would Catholicism be without the Pope's Oscar, the office? So people would have gotten mad. I think this is where we diverge paths a little bit, the expansionist crowd, when we argue. I look at people getting mad at the end of the year, and I just see people getting mad. I don't see a problem that needs to be solved all the time. Sometimes when people are mad, they just get mad, and then they tire themselves out, and then they go on about their life. Nothing really needed to change. We're all good. But apparently, Somewhere along the lines, we got to a situation where someone got convinced if someone's mad, that means there's a problem that has to be fixed. And therefore, we started tinkering with something that, as it turns out, probably didn't, be, probably didn't need to be tinkered with a whole heck of a lot. I guess the difference in what I'm saying, and the reason I don't mind that era, is because I don't care about crowning a national champ in college football as much as other people. I'm in the minority on that. I readily admit that. NFL you better give me a Super Bowl. Major League Baseball, you better give me a World Series. Those are entirely, it's almost like apples and oranges. I know it's all sports, but it's almost like two different worlds. Comparing the structure and the way those, those entire leagues are built to how completely herky-jerky college football is put together, it's just different worlds. Therefore, I don't care if college football is run differently. I always, I'll, I'll tell you where, where I differ. I've always looked at the dissimilarity from college football to the NFL, and all I've seen is, oh, they're different. I never saw something that needed to be fixed. I never watched the Saturday game and saw the 14 things that are different about Saturday than Sunday and said, boy, we, we cannot rest on our laurels until we get this Saturday product looking exactly like that Sunday product. I never viewed college football that way. I don't today. There's some stuff in our sport that's different from the NFL, 
and I think we got the better end of the deal. And I've always thought that about college football. That's why I choose to be passionate about college football. And I do watch the NFL. NFL's fine with me. But I don't feel the way about the Sunday game I do about the Saturday game. Some other people have and had different ideas. They looked at the Saturday game. They're still doing it this very moment when it comes to conference realignment. They look at the Saturday game and they see differences, but to them those differences are problems. Those differences are flaws that need to be fixed. And they will not rest until this game looks as similar to the Sunday game as possible. Because you make more money off of it. I'm not stupid. I get how that works. I don't have to like it though. And that's where I've been. That's where I'll always be. And that's why I don't even care. If you, if you hit a rewind button and you took us back 30 years and you put us in the AP poll era and we're crowning a conference champ by writing their name on a piece of paper, I don't care. As long as you give me my Saturdays in the fall, I don't care how you crown your national champ. I didn't think I would ever say that back then because I was ignorant to what the future held. And now if I could go back and tell little JP a couple of things, among those couple of things would be, hey man, don't mess with the postseason. Just, just leave it alone. Or stop at the BCS. Stop there. Uh, last question here. Kind of talked about this a little while ago. Tommy said, why has there been so little talk about Georgia on the show lately? They just won a title, right? Tommy, you're right. You're right. I never thought in a million, billion years this would be the case. That I grow up in the state of Georgia, my entire life is void of a Georgia national championship. We, through immense blessing, are able to elevate a college football show to a national level. Georgia wins a title, and we barely talked about it. You would think there's anti-bulldog bias on the show if you didn't know any better. Well, that's not the case, but the case is, I don't think we're alone here. If you've looked around, there, there, I have not picked up on a whole lot of Georgia hype, period. It's just been the way of the college football world, and I don't think Kirby Smart would have it any other way. This is a perfect storm for him. I mean, you could not have dressed this up any better. I would have thought, in, in sort of a, a blind look ahead into the future, that if and when Georgia ever gets to a national championship win, they will be so hungover and complacent the following year, knowing those folks like I do, knowing the culture of that state and that program like I do, they, they will not be able to get out of their own way. You just show up to the stadium, they'll beat themselves the next year. That's how I thought it would play out. As it turns out, it's nothing like that. Kirby Smart's got exactly what he wants. He won a championship, first time in a generation. He brought a championship to his alma mater. That they can never take away from him until the end of time. He's in the record books and history books. But then college football just decided to lose its mind immediately afterwards. And you had playoff drama the day of the game. You had playoff drama. Then you had Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher sniping back and forth. And that sucked a ton of the oxygen out of the room. NIL and the transfer portal and what we're going to do about it has dominated conversation from January until fill in the blank in the future. And also... We've got conference realignment, just bombshells left and right. You really haven't had a whole lot of time to just sit back if you're running a show. I understand you live in Bainbridge, Georgia. It's a little bit different. You're out on the back porch every night, reliving right after you watch the replay. Good for you guys. But from a national perspective, you know, that, that elixir that often leads to complacency, I don't think they've been able to ingest a whole lot of it because Kirby Smart's got what he wants. He, he won the title. And then none of the bad stuff afterwards seems to have really come. And they don't really have superstars returning on this team. They've got really good players. They got the third most talented roster in America. They don't have a bunch of bona fide superstars. In other words, they don't have a lot of guys coming back that you worry about being complacent or thinking they've arrived. 
Because there are a lot of guys on that team that, sure enough, they were on the roster last year. They haven't earned anything. They haven't earned any kind of credit because they were behind the guys who did it last year. Even quarterback. When's the last time you saw a team win a national title, quarterback from that team returns, and no one really even looks at him as any kind of preseason favorite to do anything. It's just such a unique situation. Uh, the other thing that I would think about is it's their first one. Even Saban, after his first one, they look at the 2010 team as the biggest missed opportunity in his time there. They lost three games. He didn't know how to handle it. Uh, Jimbo dealt with it. After the 2013 run at Florida State, he didn't know how to handle it. And a lot of those guys, when they do it for the first time at a program, Urban dealt with that. There's no magic formula. This is Kirby's first time. So I don't know. I can't prove to you that they'll show up with every bit the hunger they had last year and they'll be void of complacency. It's human nature for that stuff to, to seep in. I would look at this Georgia team, though, all things considered, and I would say they've got a, an infinitely better shot of trying to duplicate some of the success they had in their title year than I ever thought they would. I mean, I thought that thing would linger over them so much the following year whenever it finally happened. And that's just not the way it's set up. So I, um, you know, I mean, they've got holes to fill. So does everyone. It's college football. But right now they've got the third best odds to win the national championship at plus 400. Bama's at plus 180. Ohio State at plus 375. Okay, before we get out of here, I've got a favor to ask you guys. Remember, this is not the favor, just a reminder now that we're deep in the show. Tomorrow, at a time of my choosing, we will launch the Late Kick store. You all, all you need to be doing is following me on social, at Late Kick Josh. Uh, we, got, we, got the, we got everything built. We're ready to go, but um, you need to be ready to go. So that's that announcement. Now, with that out of the way, we have got one of the longest tenured supporters, or supporters, I'm not from Boston, so the supporters are out, they're out there somewhere. The supporters of our show, especially the ones who date back to our time in Columbus, they mean just a little bit more to us. And about two or three times a year, I just flat out ask for you, if you can help out, to help out. We, we've helped uh, hurricane victims a time or two. Well, we've got a little situation that I feel obligated for us to step up on and help. So uh, one of our real longtime supporters, really good dude, out in Atascacita, Texas, uh, had a couple of guys killed the other day. A couple of guys uh, working at a golf club out there, twins actually, 31 years old, car wreck, both of them, killed. And uh, they were not in a place financially, nor is their family, where they can really handle that kind of expense. And the golf club out there is already doing a lot. But anytime I've ever asked for this, I do not feel any obligation. But normally when I've asked for this sort of thing, a couple of you who are in a financial position that you can help out on this sort of thing, you reach out to me privately. So I'm putting it out there again. Uh, we as a show, I would like to step up on this. So if you're in a position where you'd like to help out, you reach out to me privately, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can DM me on any of my socials, at Josh, and I would love for us to get this taken care of. They're already about halfway towards getting those expenses paid for. I'd love for us to wipe this out for them. So if you want to help out, hit me up, and we'll take care of it. And I appreciate it in advance because we have never asked for this and not had you go infinitely above and beyond. So I know you will. Thank you in advance. Uh, we try and help out wherever we can. All right, we got, we got a live show Sunday night. Then I'm headed to Atlanta right afterwards, probably irresponsibly late, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, I guess that means we're going to have five shows in a row. Also irresponsible, but hey, it's our show now. 
What can they really do? What would they do even if they could? So we got a busy week coming up. Look, guys, they break camp in like two weeks. It's time to go. Even if you believed in that O word, offseason, it's done. It's, it's in the rear view. You can rest in late January. So it's about time to get down to business, and we're going to head down to Atlanta next week. Uh, thank you so much. Late Kick Store opening tomorrow. All the Pate State gear your heart can desire. Until then, like the video on your way out. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.